You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. One thing for certain that we can all admit, irrespective of our political differences, religious differences, whatever differences we have, one thing we know for sure is constant, is change. And change is a good thing from my perspective. One of the things I don't understand about some of the things that are changing is how things are going to come together and fit into what I typically think is a comfort zone for me. But that's bias. And I say it that way because cryptocurrencies, which are still so foreign to me, are clearly going to be a very, very important player in, let's call it monetization and monies of the world. And there's a variety of reasons for that. And I think I have someone today that can help me better understand the important role of cryptocurrencies and how that actually is going to also benefit the state of North Dakota. I'm just thrilled today to have as my guest, Akbar Shamsi. Akbar is the CEO and founder of a company called BitZero, which is new to North Dakota, and they're doing some amazing and exciting things that I can't wait to talk about. So welcome to Mike's Seminary and Friends, Sean, uh, Akbar. It's great to see you. How are you today? I, I'm, I'm very well, Mike, and um, I, I just would reciprocate that warm introduction by uh, thanking you and everybody in North Dakota for how welcome they've made me and BitZero feel in the state um and so it's, it's a pleasure to be to be talking to you here mike well i think i think there's something about north dakotans generally speaking that we most of us are we were raised to have our arms wide open and, and i think there's a reason for that akbar if historically Four months of the 12 of every year can be really, really, really tough when it comes to weather. It might get, and I'm a runner. I'm outside every day running. I've been outside when it's 100 degrees. I've been outside when it's 30 below. And sometimes wind chill is 60 below. There's just something about weather, especially when you're a fairly sparsely populated state where you have to have the backs of your neighbors. Whether you get along is another thing, but you have to have backs to survive. And I just think that's part of our culture and why we have our arms wide open to welcome folks and say, great to see you. Let's have a good day together. I, I, I can kind of um, completely uh, agree with... Um, that analysis of the people of North Dakota, and I think for me, uh, which so we came to uh, the United Kingdom to London when I was a small baby um, uh, as refugees from uh, from uh, Africa, from Uganda, where uh, a, a warlord, uh, African warlord Idi Amin, um, took over the country and, and quite brutally uh, expelled. Uh, all the citizens who were not from the indigenous tribes. And so when we were growing up in London, um, uh, you know, it, it, it was very much, though of course the winters were not as brutal, we certainly learned within, you know, before we became kind of um, sort of uh, much more intertwined with uh, British society and culture, uh, you know, the refugees in those days were rare, and we had to rely on each other as families and as individuals, you know, to, to get on and to survive. And so that kind of word is bond for survival, for, you know, forget the human and moral uh, overtones, just for survival. It becomes part, part of your, your kind of living and breathing way of life. And I, I think that's found very much the same in Norway, where we work a lot. And of course, so many people from... North Dakota are originally from Norway, and so I, I think uh, sort of having been blessed to be the, the, the kind of leader of BitZero at this time, it's been great to find these communities of people where 
pretty much everybody says what they mean and does what they say, and we do the same. And therefore, the, the pace at which we've been able to engage has been very quick. Um, and having worked a lot in, you know, sort of much more established and diverse cities, London, Bombay, New York, where not everybody is coming from the same kind of ethos. Uh, and, and you have to really sort of watch your back. Um, uh, it's really nice to know in North Dakota that we've all got each other's back. And, and that's very refreshing. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess the, the, the other, um, the other, the other sort of comment, uh, just thinking about um, all, all of that history uh, is that when when we came as refugees, we, we kind of always were told that we came at the invitation of Her, Her Majesty the Queen, um, and you know le learned uh, to be kind of very respectful of our our hosts, and, and we grow up grew up um, sort of being told that it is our responsibility to integrate with and develop the society that we're in. Um, and so I guess if, if Governor Bergam is, is our host who invited us into North Dakota, not that I'm drawing parallels between the governor and a queen, but um, nevertheless, there's a kind of funny echo and resonance to coming into a new territory and making friends and trying to add value. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't, I can't let, let that one go without saying something about the passing of the queen. Never met the queen. Um, mm. I, I've never paid a lot of attention to royalty. However, when you've been on the planet as long as I have, and you have the, the pleasure really of observing from my perspective, a very classy person that treated, I think, everyone with dignity from what I was able to observe. And she was there for the long haul. She was there um, serving uh, for quite a while. It was uh, sad to see her see her passing. She was really quite remarkable. What? Yeah, she, 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 she certainly was. She was very close always to... Uh, His Highness the Aga Khan, who was very close to my father, um, and we would often learn, I would learn stories sort of through that channel about just how gracious Queen Elizabeth II was, how deeply open and tolerance, not even the right word, how... Um, how uh, curious she was about other cultures as this kind of monarch of all the colonies. There's often a misconception about her um, that perhaps she really reflected, uh, you know, a, a, a slightly more, a slightly less tolerant colonial uh, history. I, I think she herself was an enormously open-minded, um, gracious mm -hmm. and majestic woman. Yeah, may she rest in peace. Well, you mentioned Governor Burgum. We mentioned North Dakota. You talked about uh, Uganda, Idi Amin. We talked previously in another conversation about my friend that wrote a book of, that talked a little bit about his journeys in Africa and Uganda at that time when that brutal fellow was the uh, dictator. So that leads me to this. You haven't, you're fairly new to North Dakota culture. And you had a big announcement that involves really North Dakota moving into the future in a variety of ways. So let's start with, with this. You, I, if I'm not mistaken, um, you met Josh Tigan, who is, I, I serve on his board. I think you know that. And his mother lives down the street from us. So I've gotten to know the Tigans well. You met him not too long ago uh, in Florida, I believe at a, a Bitcoin conference. And that started some wheels in motion, and you just had to come and take a look at what North Dakota was doing. Kind of give us the backstory on that. Yeah, I mean, Josh, um, it's, you know, just a really bright and wonderful uh, young man. He um, was attending this conference uh, in his then capacity. Um, I, I think he sub subsequently... Um, um, 
been elevated in his position, but he was a kind of uh, an ambassador for the for the state through the Commerce Department, and he was down at the conference in Miami where uh, variously uh, uh, I and others from BitZero were speaking. Um, and he very boldly uh, just approached us, approached my friend Kevin O'Leary, who uh, is very, obviously a very well-known uh, fellow um, and very popular and very wonderful. And, and Josh, Josh approached uh, uh, Kevin uh, uh, and and said, "Look, my name is Josh uh, Teagan. I'm from North Dakota, and these are resources and uh, uh, um, conditions that we have available in North Dakota, which I think would be ideal for what you guys are doing." And he just kind of did a Josh on us, and before I knew it, we 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 were we were we were in the state, and and we were introduced. Uh, very brilliantly, actually, targeted introductions within the state to individuals in positions which he and whatever his think tank was had determined would create a clear passage for us to deliver objectives which we spent time in Miami discussing. So in Miami, we really got on well. He and um, his colleague who was traveling with him and our team kind of suddenly, you know, integrated. And it's quite a very social environment. So there were lots of dinners and, and all that sort of stuff. And we kind of just spent a lot of time talking. This is what BitZero is about. This is what we do. Um, and, and Josh took the time to understand it. Um, and then, you know, he, he set up uh, fairly immediately us uh, across the table from, from from the governor, from the senator, and then uh, the first real kind of port of call for action was with Chairman Mark Fox, um, and we, we came very quickly to an agreement uh, on a, a, a strategy to bring um, to bring a project uh, onto the sovereign land, um, and then um, of course to the. The, the pyramid in in the coma, which has become uh, the center of all of our lives uh, now. So yeah, I, I think uh, well played, Josh, and thank you. <laughs> well, we'll get to the project specifics in a minute, but yeah, you, sure. You just detailed some things that just earlier today I was on the phone recording a podcast with Senator Hoven, and yeah, one earlier with Lieutenant Governor Sanford talking about the very ecosystems in the state that you just in many ways alluded to, uh, Akbar, where because of the ability to connect, because of all the incredible resources that we have here that um, really nicely address uh, traditional fossil fuel exploration, the movement forward to how to take those same resources and address transitioning to uh, renewables and, and other types of energy, the water that we have, and then just the ability to sit down face-to-face -face with people of influence. And I say that not because they're powerful, but, but there are people that can help move things forward and get things done. You just described beautifully how that works and why North Dakota, in my opinion, is pretty unique. So now go back to what you said. You talked about Josh, pulling a Josh. I love that. And... <laughs> Um, you, you talked about sovereign land, my good friend Chairman Fox, uh, the missile site up in Nakoma. Now let's talk about what all of that is. It, it's it's this is about bit zero, and of course you mentioned Kevin O'Leary. Um, this is about taking part of North Dakota and moving us into the future regarding data mining, or in this case, uh, cryptocurrency mining. Tell us kind of how that project's going to work and the beauty of taking uh, a missile site that was abandoned eight months after it was put together and what that means to the folks in that part of the state. Yeah. Um, so there's a, a, a number of very interesting threads in, 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 in what you just said, and I'll, I'll um, uh, peel them off one by one, if I may, uh, and then just cut me off if, if I'm taking too long or if something's interesting. So, so first of all, I, I think you said it, but I'll just reiterate it. 
notwithstanding the incredible geological conditions unique to North Dakota in terms of the possibility for us to bury sequestered carbon dioxide in unlimited quantity in perpetuity, you know, that's a, that's a very special condition. Um, uh, and there are a number of very special conditions. I, I think that the, the most important thing for Bit Zero actually really was the, the, the people interface. Um, and, and that uh, kind of, okay, look, I mean, we've already naturally, as with any complex project, you know, bumped into challenges and everybody's immediate response was, okay, let's find a solution immediately. And, you know, great minds all pointing in one direction with a survival instinct, whether as refugees or from the cold, we'll find, we'll find solutions. So I think, I think that, that that's been the overriding um, imperative. But beyond that, um, I think none of it would have been, irrespective of everything, none of it would have been possible if over the last kind of decade and more recently the last five years, uh, four years, uh, three years, two years last year and ongoing, the state had not led a very intense, highly technical capex intense fiber optic cabling exercise to make north dakota's connectivity uh, to um the the relevant and critical nodes for information transfer around the us and around the world kind of leadership quality so kind of four milliseconds of latency means kind of nothing to anyone who doesn't understand but it in very simple terms, means that the speed at which information moves from your internet hub in North Dakota to other key connection points within uh, the, the U.S.'s uh, total internet network is four milliseconds, which is for you know for significant quantums of data, which is almost real time and as close to the fastest in the world as is possible way faster than people need for gaming and most of the super, super fast requirements. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that, that's a mammoth undertaking. Um, strangely, uh, that strategy mirrors what Norway did. Uh, Norway did very much the same thing as a country, was lead in terms of uh, laying fiber optic cable. North Dakota did the same. And because of that... Um, the uh, just focusing uh, back to the, the Nakoma pyramid for a moment, that became a, um, a, a, an incredible asset to repurpose and kind of reposition as a data center, which would have you know the same connectivity as a data center in West Virginia or wherever data centers historically have been the most popular. Um, with, of course, the massive added advantage of the fact that billions of dollars of design into concrete and um, steel lining to make it nuclear bomb-proof and EMP blast-proof, um, situated on, incidentally, the safest plate tectonics uh, in the United States and possibly in the world uh, in terms of where there's least likely ever to be an earthquake, so suddenly this incredibly large facility that is completely um, uh, insulated from almost any security risk is connected to the world at super high speed by fiber op optic cable. <laughs> so that, where do you, where, you know, you don't find that very easily. So it, it didn't take us long once I'd seen it to... Um, make full and detailed presentations to the uh, Cavalier County authorities, particularly the JDA, uh, Carol Goodman and her team there, Shannon and all of them, a board of 17 um, local uh, people from various industries united by one, uh, united by many things, but one kind of overarching um, common goal which was to consider that um, uh, 
which was to, in order to define what that two is, consider that in the 1970s, um, thousands and thousands of people were suddenly located in Nakoma to build that facility and contemplated together with their families and uh, 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 all their life plans, moving there, they moved there, they set up camp there, they started working there. And then suddenly, uh, almost overnight, once uh, the Soviet Union had understood that this facility was up and running and uh, had all the capacity that it had, um, the uh, treaties were signed, the SALT treaties, the, 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 the basically the end of the Cold War. One of the conditions of the treaties was that the pyramid should be fully decommissioned. And that was kind of done almost overnight. And everybody was made redundant. The whole town was made redundant. So thousands of people have moved there, worked their hearts out to get this thing together, and suddenly kind of they're all told go away. They weren't only told go away, they were told go away and kind of weren't given any support as part of that process. So these 17 people are representing families, you know, who may have been there before in some cases, they may be landowners, they may be in farming, but nevertheless, they saw and felt personally or that very close proximity, the kind of pain and loss of everybody having to sort of disappear from there and leave, you know, kind of well-organized, but it's kind of abandoned town behind. To add insult to that injury, the, you know, the, the, the history of those end of Cold War negotiations were very much punctuated by the commissioning of that pyramid. Uh, and incidentally, some very clever uh, a, a kind of um, gamesmanship at a, at, a, at a state interstate negotiation level by, by the US who managed to convince the Soviets not only that this one uh, incredible facility was commissioned, but that there were 11 others right behind it. Uh, of course, funding this one alone uh, uh, was probably an almost insurmountable burden, but, you know, well played. Um, but the, you know, the, the newspapers and a lot of the subsequent commentary, uh, didn't refer to the incredible effort and work and the importance of that, um, facility to the peace process. It simply, you know, the, you know, the, 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 a lot of the history at the time reads as though it was a big waste of money and a big military blunder and, uh, misspent budgets and you know all, all the sort of stuff um uh that made it look like a stupid waste of time because it was opened and then shut down i i, I see i see many things in life coincidence is really rarely one of them you know just from that perspective the likelihood that that project got commissioned and within a week the treaties got signed and decommissioning that project was in the treaties front and center it's highly unlikely that that wasn't a pivotal moment. And when you speak, you take the oral history from people in the military who were involved in all of the above at the time, they're all crystal clear that this was stuck in the face of the Soviets to say, listen, we put men on the moon. We've got 12 of these facilities coming. You guys got no chance. You know, that was the kind of negotiating posture and it worked um, miraculously. Um, and, and peace ensued. And everyone was kind of told to go home. And this board of 17, uh, who, through multiple twists and turns between 1975 and today, managed to keep hold of the facility and managed to kind of maintain it to a level where it, it, it was, you know, at, at least presentable when we saw it. Um, you know, their, their, their unifying goal was to bring dignity back to that community and to demonstrate that 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 pyramid that pops its head out above this huge underground secure facility is, is really a, a was it is it like a, you know we, we see it as a monument to peace it created peace it was that's what it did and 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 to bring it back to life and bring its history back alive and to do that within the context of another 
transitional moment in human history. So if the Cold War was our biggest risk at that time, misuse of um, energy and the damaging effects of allowing wanton data processing around the world to use the same energy source as schools and hospitals with impunity whilst costs go up, climate change is clearly being affected dramatically by that. Uh, you know, that is proving clearly to be a danger. It's proving to be a danger to the smooth running of municipal society. It's proving to be a danger to the planet's climate ecosystem. And so, you know, we, we kind of hope to use its um, very prominent visible status as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a beacon to show how, with proper thought, uh, data processing, data management, data centers can and should be run on renewable energy supplies that don't affect the grids around them and, and, and don't affect society at large, and, and then allow the kind of data services that we all need to, to flow brilliantly with the right processing, the right analysis, the right data analytics, cybersecurity, and, and, and all, all the necessary protocols. So, yeah, so it was a bit rambly and a bit long. I hope it made sense. But, yeah, that's kind of how we see it. It, it did. And um, you know, I think I shared with you uh, a person that lives in the same neighborhood as Deb and myself is from there. And her uncle is on that board. And I reach out because she thought I should have him as a guest on the podcast because his life has been what are we going to do? With this, with this thing that was going to be significant for us, but was shut down eight months after they finished building it. He's on that board. I had a, a communication with the consultant they, that they hired. And I pretty much was told, you know, because I, I wanted to go visit it, if possible, before we did our interview and if I, right. have an opportunity to do one with him. But they said, well, you know, actually now, Akbar makes those decisions, so I, I really can't do that until. So here we are talking about. So let's talk about the facility, and so it's for data mining, cryptocurrency mining, whatever it, it will be. It's all data. But well, no, let, 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 let me jump in there. It, it, it won't be used very much. I, I, I've got a, 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 a. I really want to talk to your earlier point about crypto okay. in, in, in a moment. But that facility will not be used very much for crypto mining, okay. if at all. Why? Um, um, because because of its very secure, the, the very secure physical structure uh, and the fantastic uh, internet speed to and from it, it is far more valuable to um, data processing and storage which requires those levels of security. So Bitcoin mining can be delivered kind of anywhere. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but tier five security in a completely green energy off-grid ecosystem is critical for all kinds of data storage and data processing in kind of mission critical for society industries, whether it be healthcare, security, cybersecurity, education, agriculture, you know, whatever it may be, banking, finance, all of the above, um, that those are more appropriate uses for that facility, uh, because uh, uh, otherwise, uh, it, it would really be a waste of the phys physical security that is available at that okay. site. Okay, I understand. Yeah. So, yeah. So that being said, so a data mining facility that yeah. was uh, built for all practical purposes during the Cold War period of time. So it's very, very secure because of Dakota Carrier Network and its rollout over the years. North Dakota is a global player in the ability to move information quickly, which you so articulately addressed. So you're going to have this facility that um, is for lack of better terminology, it's a place where <clears throat> a lot of computers are moving data, generates heat. And so part of the plan is to collaborate with 
uh, MHA Nation, Chairman Fox, to help them with a greenhouse. So you'll take the, the heat or expended energy and deliver it into uh, a system that serves the MHA Nation and their need for uh, self-sufficiency, correct? No, so, oh, 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 almost. So it, it, there's two there's two parts to that. So the the project uh, uh, with the MHA Nation will be a totally separate project on their land, okay. where we will um, bring new renewable energy, wind, and and um, and associated storage to a smaller data center which we will build and the heat from that data center uh, is to be captured to drive heat into greenhouses for food security uh, on on their sovereign land at the pyramid it's exactly the same model um but the greenhouses which will be there in the coma i certainly hope um uh, and we will certainly be making uh, warm approaches uh, to Chen Fox as, as well as um, other leaders within um, all the sovereign nations that uh, where there will be jobs and training in everything to do with that uh, kind of agricultural output as well as the renewable energy installation and uh, anything else connected to the data center, you know, th th there will be jobs and we will certainly be offering those jobs and associated training into the sovereign nation so that we can then translate those projects forward uh, for them to benefit from them. I mean, one of the things that's very clear is that, and we only have to drive around um, North Dakota to see help wanted signs in pretty much every restaurant or store. Um, at pretty good wages, I check on a couple of them. They kind of between eighteen and twenty bucks an hour. Looking, looking at my kids and asking them what they're up to this summer. <laughs> um, uh, but um, you, you know, there's there, there's 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 work available, and I think these sorts of projects will bring. And we, we've already relocated two families into not. I mean, from way outside of the state in, in into North Dakota. Couple of couple of bought houses, uh, kind of nearby, and you know, and we're not the only ones bringing projects. There are much much bigger uh, companies than us um, coming into the state. So I think the, the the infrastructure that we touched on, of which fiber, fiber optics is one part, but generally, um, I don't know why that's ringing. Generally. Um, could you bear with me one moment, yeah, Mike? On, I'm so ahead. sorry. I just need. To, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what it was. But they'll call back. It's very urgent. That, um, my apology. Um, yeah. So, so, so you know, all, all of so yes, the fiber optic network, as well as the the general ease of business which North Dakota offers to incoming businesses, I, I think we'll certainly start to see. Uh, start to cause uh, immigration, uh, at least from within the US. I, I, I would, I'm very, very keen to bring in some skilled uh, players, uh, individuals from outside the US. Um, the visa process is challenging, to say the least. Again, people much more powerful than me working for much bigger companies are having trouble bringing in very, to the US very qualified people. Um, and so offering training locally as much as possible is something that we will have to do. And incentivizing people from out of state to move to the state is something that we've been doing. That I'm pleased to report, I think probably because that Nakoma project is so exciting, just visually, emotionally, uh, it, it's not been proving difficult, as well as the fact that BitZero's, you know, by God's grace, a fast-growing company in a very interesting space, mm -hmm. and so it's kind of fun to be a part of it. So, you know, there is that that, that draw is is happening, and it's quite quite exciting to watch. I'm, I'm going to ask you this question. Thanks for those details, Akbar. I'm going to ask you this question, 
kind of in relationship to part of your previous career at uh, CPEC, where you were involved in energy infrastructure projects on a big scale in another part of the world, data mining and just the collection of data. Governor Burgum has talked about this for some time, about the how, how data is going to, I'm paraphrasing how he says it, rule the world because data is so important. Nobody makes decisions anymore. Well, most people don't without acquiring and tapping into data. And just during the past past couple of weeks, I've been to uh, events in, in the Valley where we talked about Grand Farm and how they're yep. growing and the need for collecting data to do uh, better research and then implementation for strategies for the farm of the future. And subsequent, and then additionally, I've heard people talk about the intelligent machines that are here and will be even more part of our life as we continue to make incredible advancements in artificial intelligence, so on and so forth. Kind of paint a picture of how big the opportunity of having a data mining center anywhere, but in this case, North Dakota, how, how big is that opportunity and how it fits into the global th- scheme? Yeah, I, 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 that's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful question. Um, and it, it, it flows from the correct way to think about uh, data, data. Uh, and it, it doesn't surprise me that it, it, it was kind of Governor Bergman's words that made you think that way because he he's kind of got such sharp leadership in his mind around this. So let let, let me try and let me try and frame that for you. So um, a typical data center today has a complete mix of users in it, uh, and the data center ownership and management is completely agnostic to what is going on inside the data center. Uh, It's a big warehouse with electricity and fiber optic cable connected to it. Inside that warehouse, there are scores and scores of racks of computers, and those computers are processing data. Some of them will be processing data for um, uh, live streaming of movies, others for social media, some for banking, some for gaming, some for gambling, some for adult entertainment, some for the dark web. Nobody cares as long as they're getting paid. Now, those very data centers are amongst the biggest users of energy anywhere. And so where grids are, and this doesn't happen in North Dakota, but it happens in so many other parts of the US and certainly around the world and increasing frequency, grids are frequently shutting down because of loads. where um, uh, you know cl- climate issues are causing sort of freak events that are putting even more pressure on uh, on grids and power ecosystems. Uh, but these data centers kind of operate whatever they're operating, crypto mining, whatever it may be, with absolute impunity and, and burning whatever energy the developer can supply to them, which typically is you know predominantly uh, uh, hydrocarbons. Now. In many of those circumstances, and in certain states, it's happening already where uh, state legislatures are simply saying, you know, we're not doing any data mining in our or data processing in our state. We'll we'll send it to the cloud. And, you know, there's a a kind of misconception that that, that something's actually happening in the clouds. It's not. Clouds are services within those physical data centers that I've just described to you. So if one state says, oh, we're not doing it data in this state, it's a waste of energy, it's just heavy, you know, we're going to send it to the cloud. Well, you know what, there's a state right next door who represents that cloud, and, you know, they're, they're, they're doing that same processing. So, you know, there's a, there's a high probability, and it's already happening, that energy curtailment is going to be happening in different states. And this means, you know, quite probably there will start to be selection made of who is and is not a kind of essential user of energy. 
at difficult times of the year or when they're a freak event. And if you think about it in sequence, you know, ice rinks burn a lot of energy. It's not really mission critical for everyone, so they'll get switched off. Um, shopping malls, data centers. Now, within those data centers, there may well be also critical education or uh, kind of road traffic, security, safety, medical, uh, um, uh, cybersecurity-based activities, which are essential to the running of society, or things such as Grand Farms, which is an incredibly visionary collection of companies from data and from agriculture, who, as you rightly say, are pooling uh, information collected, each one in their kind of disparate position. So, you know, with a collar around a cow's neck, but with collars around every cow's neck, you know, you can determine how many paces between the milk and the grain optimizes their health, their livelihood, the health of their calves, and so on. Yeah, within education, they're reaching levels where they can predict with 90 plus percent accuracy based on grades and uh, general information about children at the age of eight, what is the likelihood that these children will go to college or go to prison? And therefore, you can identify, you know, which kind of class of thing will encourage them to go in those different directions and therefore influence and or help them at that early age. And, um, you know, that, so that those are all the kind of proactive, positive uh, uh, ways that data is being used in, in every possible industry and more than we can even begin to contemplate. I can talk about lots of those depending on how much time we've got. But, you know, the flip side of it, you, you said earlier, um, you know, that, Every, all of us are making our decisions based on data that's being processed. And then you said, well, most of us, or, or some of us earlier, it's actually all of us uh, without even knowing it. So somebody else is processing data all the time that is influencing what you see and hear, that is influencing your decisions. So um, you know, I think one of the big companies recently bought... Um, I don't want to use all of their names, but it's pretty obvious the sorts of companies I'm talking about. So one of these mega companies recently bought the company that makes the vacuum cleaners that operate on their own on the floor and just go around the house cleaning up. Now, why did they buy it? They bought it because from the movement of that vacuum cleaner, they now know exactly where all the different appliances are laid out in your house. And therefore, when you switch on your computer they will know what appliance you might be missing or might need a new one of. <laughs> and they'll be sending you information about it without you knowing it. So, it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of on as far as data goes. So for the state of North Dakota, Grand Farms being a, an absolutely amazing example. Now, whatever goes on in data centers all around the country and all around the world, the North Dakota Pyramid, will always be open for business. Why? Because grids can shut down, gas prices can go through the roof, but either the wind will be blowing or the sun will be shining or biomass uh, kind of offtake will be pelletized and getting burnt through uh, 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 biomass and, and generators associated or biodiesel as a backup will be available and or the kind of vanadium uh, and or other storage uh, redundancy that we've got for power supply will be in place. So, you know, doesn't matter what's going on with the grid, for as long as the world is open, the pyramid in North Dakota will be processing data. And within that, you're going to have all the data for Grand Farms, I hope. You're going to have lots of educational data. You're going to have lots of cybersecurity developments. And therefore, clearly, state-driven processes like those, the first beneficiaries are always going to be the state because who's going to be the first one to get all the information after it's been harvested and processed? Well, exactly the same guys who gave us the data for Grand Farms in the first place. Exactly the same educational authority, exactly the same cybersecurity authority, exactly the same banking authorities. So, you know, from a state perspective, it creates real security. And there's enough space there for us to offer 
more of the same to other states for their mission critical data. Does that make sense? It does. It, and it leads me to this question. I don't know if it's fair to ask it of you, but during that description, you mentioned how there, there will come a point in time, and we're already seeing it, decisions will be made regarding when someone can access uh, power, um, what entity can or cannot, and you listed off you know, fairly significant users of power and energy and you put data centers in that list. So my antenna went up right away saying, gosh, if data is the future, and I, and I believe it is, well, it's part of a very important future, let's put it that way. I'm going to just use this as an example. So let's just say the data center in Nakoma um, is housing critically important medical technology information that Mayo, Mayo has decided that's where we're going to store it because of the security that we're looking for. That's the perfect place. And their approach to clean energy, et cetera, et cetera. That's where we want to put it. And a physician in Mozambique who's attached to Mayo's uh, infrastructure is about to perform tomorrow a critically important surgery on somebody and has to access it. But for some reason, somebody decided we got to curtail the power usage at that particular data center. And I'm, that, maybe that's not a great example, but you, am I describing but, something that could happen? Uh, look, where, where somebody's data carriers um, and data centers kind of face shutdown especially in those remote countries, I'm not saying Mozambique's remote, but let's say less developed, um, there is always that risk for sure that the real-time requirement for data simply won't be deliverable to them. Now, most data centers um, have solutions where, you know, if one data center gets switched off, um, you know, they've, they've kind of got backup at another data center and they can kind of flip out pretty quickly. You know, all of those solutions are rapidly running dry, particularly for new requirements. So, you know, maybe the existing guys are okay, but more and more data is being generated by the millisecond. And so, okay, the existing guys, you know, if you if you go into a Microsoft or AWS or a Google and, you know, there's a problem in one region, they'll flip you straight over to another region and you won't notice anything. But if you're, a, a, you know, if you're generating data that's new, you might not even have access to those. And even within those, the risks of kind of multiple curtailment are getting higher to the point where the risks of that kind of perfect transition from one to another in case one gets shut down are, are, are also increasing in real time. Mm. But yeah, how, 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 do you help, how do you help the remote guys um, if they can't be reached? Um, It'd be more, but it'd be more about their internet connection than their data connections, uh, than their data centers uh, um, per, per se. Um, and you know, one would hope that there would always be some solutions. But you know, we we saw we we, we certainly saw it. The biggest kind of inf kind of shutdown of communications I ever saw was during nine eleven when. Kind of all communication in in New York City just went completely down, uh, and that happens around the world. You know, power if power goes down, everything switched off. In a minute, Akbar, I'm going to ask you, you know, how we can help or how I can help. But I want to go back to uh, something we kind of addressed in in the very opening, because at one point in time, um, you were thinking this would be a cryptocurrency. Uh, mining center and now i totally understand why it's data by the way you uh you you're uh you've traveled the world extensively what what is your read on the role of cryptocurrency moving forward because so, so many people have a distrust in uh, fiat currencies they're uncomfortable with government institutions they're they're uncomfortable even even i am how you manipulate currencies and 
uh, the volatility of everything right now. But where do you kind of see the the role of cryptocurrencies as we move forward? Um, I'm I'm really glad we had time for that. So, and you use you use the word fiat, um, which is at the heart of this. So the word fiat takes its root from a Latin word which broadly means trust, and trust between humans around, you know, the, the real integrity of currencies doesn't exist anymore. There used to be a gold standard backing currencies up. Suddenly the gold wasn't there anymore. Um, then there was, there's been so much kind of quantitative easing and, and, and printing of money in recent years that nobody really knows what's out there. Everyone's in debt to somebody, but nobody knows who they're in debt to. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's, there's a kind of growing black hole of distrust. Um, whereas, and there's one more thing to say about that. So if you, if, you know, within human accounting systems, since the, the beginning of modern history, at least, there has been... You know, from single entry accounting, where you could contemplate a sort of caveman with a tablet on which he would carve a picture of his cow because he's got one cow, and if he gets a second cow, he'll carve another cow, so he's got two cows. And then in the kind of late 1400s, I guess, early 1500s, the merchants of Venice perfected double entry bookkeeping, you know, ships and gold, and they, 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 they would balance their, their, their balance sheet with this double entry accounting. But of course, you know, we've seen how easy it is to manipulate double entry accounting. Uh, you know, when you've got Italy and Greece entering the European Union together with Germany, you know that somebody's done some clever double entry accounting. So, you know, we, we, we've seen all of, that, all of those fun games. But now with the blockchain, it's triple entry accounting. So you've got the double entries, which, you know, if you verify them in real time and then create a third entry on the blockchain that is a ledger which is visible to anyone and everyone at all times and so it's very difficult to manipulate entries on the blockchain in fact thus far impossible and particularly so with regard to the bitcoin because within the bitcoin's uh, uh, total dna the entire algorithmic equations that define the bitcoin there can only ever be a certain number of them. We all know where they are. We all know where they were made. We all know where they've been, who's had them. It's all traceable on that triple entry uh, uh, that is the blockchain. So we now have a completely decentralized wealth measure, i.e. Bitcoin, which everybody can see. So you can't say there are Bitcoins when there aren't. You can't pretend you've got them if you haven't. You can't forge them. Uh, they exist. We can all see them. And there's a finite number of them. And that, to me, is the complete differentiation between Bitcoin and all fiat currencies and, frankly, all other cryptocurrencies. Because with all the other cryptocurrencies, you know, it's, it's much more opaque where control may or may not lie you know, who created the, 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 the whole system, when people might stop creating new coins, you know, all of that's vague. So whilst there's lots of benefit to all the other coins, and, and I'm certainly not kind of speaking to them positively or negatively, just to focus on the relationship between uh, human trust in kind of where wealth sits, and therefore, you know, the Knights Templar were trusted, the Bank of England and the Federal Reserve now are less so. Mm. But the blockchain uh, is impenetrable, unimpeachable, and it doesn't know how to lie. So if there's you know, 20 million Bitcoins ever to be available, whatever the number is in that order, um, then and we can see where they all are, then if that gains trust across the planet between men and women without any possibility of government interfering, then clearly they're going to win. And kind of within human history, what we think is such a long time, i.e. The, you know, the inception of the Federal Reserve or you know, Declaration of Independence, this is a millisecond in the grand scheme of things. And so evolution happens. This is the first time it's happened since the emergence of Venice, and it looks like it's here to stay. Mm. 
That was a great explanation. And I'm going to, I need to dumb it down for me. Here's, here's how I heard it. Hmm. That the fiat, the trust in traditional currencies is really waning for a variety of reasons. Manipulation is one of them. And what's, what's, What's the standard anymore? Bitcoin, maybe all cryptocurrencies, but Bitcoin for sure, the ledger is totally visible to the users. And the users control the ledger, and it can't be manipulated by outside forces. And the users then determine the value of the coin or all the coins. And and there's a limited number. And over time, as people continue to use them, the value of that goes up because there's a limited number. But it's the users that are key because they're the ones that control the ledger. Nobody else can do it. Is, is that kind of how I heard that? Yeah, yeah, that, that's correct. And and a, 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 an additional sort of nuance to that, which further differentiates Bitcoin, is it's not only that the users determine it; it's that the very algorithm from which it was born determines it so in other cryptos the users may determine things and therefore the users may uh, club together to manipulate things that's still possible you can't manipulate the true information that's on the blockchain but you know will there ever be an end to the number of xyz whatever that may be tokens in circulation well that will be for humans to decide in the case of the Bitcoin, nobody can decide because once the algorithm that was created from which the Bitcoins are born has spat out the last Bitcoin within its capacity, there can be no more. Mm-hmm. And that, that, lead, that did that help? Because it leads to another point. It did. Uh, yeah. And the, and the other point then is around the energy use inside crypto mining, which is very rightly a very hot topic globally so uh, in the middle of last year the chinese government shut down all bitcoin mining in china they just shut it down um it's since come back on but for a significant period of time they shut it all down and the total amount of power being used in bitcoin mining globally total hashing power as they call it uh was halved but nothing went wrong with the Bitcoin network. Everything was still perfect. So it's a very strong contention of mine that crypto and Bitcoin mining simply should not be allowed anymore unless the energy being used to drive it is 100% renewable and has been built by the company that's doing the mining, Hmm. not being taken from grids, not being spun in some funny story about behind the meter and renewable certificate. And there's all kinds of smoke screens that have been blowing around and it's all nonsense, Mike. It's very simple. If you want to build an industry in Africa or India, the first thing you have to do is build your power supply. You just can't simply go to the government and say, hey, I want to make a iron ore plant, you know, give me electricity, or, you know, I want to open a shop, give me electricity, or open a shop, get your generator, put your solar panels up, do something, it's your problem. In so many countries, including corrupt governments who themselves are mining, they say, you know what, we've got oil, we've got gas, switch it on, crypto mine. Well, I mean, that, that to me is kind of one of the biggest crimes against humanity that could be going on today. It's wanton carbon emission generation for no purpose other than profiteering and there's no need for it there there are families who trade in different parts of the world using bitcoin because their governments are so uh, 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 aggressive and rough around use of different currencies they make it almost impossible to exist bitcoin is a clean way for those groups to trade with each other to trust to trade across borders so many people have got their savings in Bitcoin. There's so much good about Bitcoin when it's working smoothly. You know, Western Union and high street banks versus 
you know, sending an electronic transfer from your computer to another, it, it, it's, it's a different universe. And so in the long term, there are so many positives. But right now, there's so much nonsense because carbon emissions are driving crypto mining that doesn't need to be happening. Mm. And there's a very straightforward way to bring that to an end, which would, it would require policy. It would require policy and it would have to be led in the US where, you know, there'd kind of be an amnesty, which you get in all kinds of countries. You know, this has happened until now. You've had guns, you've had knives, you know, you've had a, a black cash currency, you know, all the different reasons why amnesties get called. But you know what, we're going to call a truce now. And from this day forward, we all agree the following. What do we agree? We agree that any new Bitcoin that's going to be mined will be mined using only renewable energy that the industrialist has installed for himself or herself. And it's very easy to tag new Bitcoins with, a, you know, a little line on the blockchain. Say, OK, you know, this one has kind of this approval code. Those things are not difficult to do. And what would happen immediately then is that Bitcoin would suddenly be regulated. It would be clearly legal in the US because there was regulation around it. Institutions would be able to buy in. All the historic owners of Bitcoin wouldn't be forced underground. And all the Bitcoin miners today who are running around the world burning oil and gas and lying to stakeholders and using grids and all the rest of it would not have that US clean stamp on their Bitcoins. No one would touch them. Hmm. And overnight, overnight, the energy crisis from crypto would be resolved. And if Bitcoin goes in one direction, the others just follow because you know Bitcoin's like the, the kind of head of that snake. Right. And that sort of policy could then flow very nicely down through data centers into all the different use classes that we discuss. So I'm not into censorship. If people want to do gaming or adult entertainment, whatever they do, you know that you know that's people's right. They don't have the right to take the electricity out of the grid and put pressure on schools and hospitals. That's not in the Declaration of Independence, and that's not in the Bill of Rights. Yeah. So you want to do those things? Build your own energy, knock yourself out. And, and, others, and then people say, oh, I can't possibly go inside the data centers and do all that. It's far too complex. Well, just you know, wait till the grid shuts it down completely for a while <laughs> and then try and figure it out. It would be much better to take proactive steps now whilst we still can. Yeah. Well, this has been just fascinating and so educational for me, Akbar. Um, I'm going to ask you two more questions. This one involves a magic wand. And, and by the way, if I, if, if I recall, your footprint in North Dakota in terms of where you'll have uh, people on the ground, you'll, uh, Fargo, Bismarck, of course, up in Nakoma. And, and then as you move forward with uh, uh, MHA, probably to the west yeah. of Nakoma as well. So if you have a magic wand, you can wave over the heads of not just people in North Dakota, but people that are, are listening to this podcast outside of its borders. How can How can they help you with regards to some of the, the talent that you mentioned earlier in terms of being able to tap into folks that can be part of um, this wonderful opportunity. How can people help help you? And secondly, what do you want people to know about BitZero? Um, I'll, 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 start, I'll start slightly in reverse. So what I want people to know about BitZero is that Whilst we are driving a clean energy story and a green energy initiative, we shouldn't be mistaken for kind of fake evangelists in that space. We're not entering an oil and gas community and casting aspersions on that incredible natural resource that has saved all of you from unsurvivable winters and has built an infrastructure and has fed your families for generations and will continue to do so. So I don't want us to be mistaken as kind of uh, pious and unrealistic folk. 
what I would like us to be understood as is people who are bringing real information about uh, risks that uh, staying in conventional patterns of energy use bring not only to us locally, but it's, it's, it's a global problem. Uh, and therefore, the ideas and the strategies that we bring are, are not designed to take anyone's livelihood away, but are designed for people to be able to integrate with in order to enhance and lead the way everybody treats energy. Uh, and, and there's more that we can talk about perhaps another day in terms of carbon capture, carbon sequestration uh, uh, within oil and gas. Uh, and, and But that's perhaps not for now. But I, I think... The, the first and foremost is, um, you know, we're not Democrat, we're not Republican, we're human, and we're, we're bringing real solutions, and we're bringing real solutions which, for stakeholders, are always going to be safer and more profitable than the old-fashioned way of thinking, because the risks are becoming are no longer risks. That kind of the future is now in terms of why we have to think about energy differently. A. Um, choosing my words very carefully uh, so, and, then, and then b in terms of what can people do to help um I, I i to be honest everything i could ask for thus far you know kind of people have been there when it comes to you know labor requirements we, you know we're going to need people to, to to come and work um obviously um I mean, policy's been pretty much was built before we arrived um constantly growing constantly requiring finance you know all bankers and investors around the world who are listening you know keep coming we're going to make you lots of money uh, so that that, that 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 that's that's all fine um but yeah uh, stay open minded and uh, and reach out to us with any questions and and when we need help we'll we'll ask for it we'll make it be known We'll make it be known if we're missing resources. We'll we'll come hard and just ask for them. I'll come on your show and say I need <laughs> I need three electrical engineers next Thursday with the capacity to do high voltage work, you know, in this region or whatever it may be. Akbar, thank you so much for taking. I know you're incredibly busy. Um, appreciate you so much coming on and sharing this wonderful information. I'm so excited about the future for you and for Bit Zero and North Dakota. Frankly, I, I've always uh, greatly appreciated what I think is the way North Dakota approaches opportunities and challenges. And we roll up our sleeves, work together, try to get things done for the better of you know humankind. And I'm looking forward to meeting you uh, next time you're in North Dakota. I appreciate your time today. And I'm excited. I'm excited for you and appreci appreciate, uh, uh, I'm being redundant now. Appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Mike. It's been a, a breath of fresh air to come. You know, I'm just kind of so close to the forest every day on work. It's quite interesting to hear your questions and, and just be able to put my head up and breathe a little and think about what's actually going on. So appreciate your time there. Thank you. See you soon.